Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. As we continue in this passage that we began last week, uh, looking at verses 1 through 10 last week, we'll look at verses 11 through 22 tonight. Verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, we saw the whole glory of God's salvation. Salvation by grace alone. I mean, that's the, that's the whole theme. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may go, well, may ghost, may boast. Won't ghost either. <laughs> Where that came from. But so no one may boast. The whole concept that, that Paul wants us to see there is, is that we are bought with a price by his will and by his purpose and by his grace. That salvation is not something we earn, not something we work for. He said, as a matter of fact, you need to understand that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are dead uh, apart from Christ. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, has made you alive in Christ Jesus. What, what, a, what a glorious truth. And Paul is building this case in Ephesians for just the wonder and the glory and the magnificence of God's salvation. I love the book of Ephesians, probably second only to the, to the book of Romans. And, and in one sense, Ephesians is sort of a condensed version of Romans in, in a real sense because Paul is unfolding some of the same great truths. You were dead, you were lost, you were in need, you were unjustified, you were out of Christ, and now because of the work of God in your life, you are alive to Him forevermore, but God has made you alive. So we saw last week the, the individual nature, if you will, the, the fact that God has given us new life in Christ individually. We've been made alive. We've been raised up with Him. We've been seated with Him at the right hand of the Father. I mean, all those, all those glorious truths about our salvation, individually and personally, uh, uniquely for the, for the individual person. But tonight, he starts talking about us corporately, together, because our salvation, while salvation is a very, if you will, personal matter, it is never a private matter. While salvation in Christianity is a personal encounter and a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is never intended to be experienced or, or carried out in isolation. There's no such thing as, as us being an island for Christianity or being alone uh, by ourselves, just us in Christ. Christianity, when rightly understood and rightly lived out, is always lived out in community, the community of the faith, the church. And so Paul, in verses 11 through 22 of Ephesians, starts laying out the fact that God has now brought you to faith in Christ, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for you, has made you alive in Christ Jesus, has done something individual, personally in your life, but now he's drawing it together that we might see the reality and the importance of corporate life together. Verse 11, follow along as I read these verses tonight. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who made both groups, that is uncircumcised and circumcised, Jew and Gentile, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that he himself might, might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near. For though... Uh, excuse me, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is the word of our Lord. I want you to notice there, the Apostle Paul is vitally concerned with the whole concept of unity, the whole concept of oneness. The whole concept of barriers being broken down and barriers being destroyed and people in Christ being brought together. It's this idea of oneness, this idea of unity that Paul is laying forth here and, and putting forth here as the very foundation, the very basis for the building of the church. Uh, he's showing that, that there was a time when there were all sorts of divisions racially and, and economically and socially and, and and, and all sorts of things that divided people. Specifically, he's concerned about the racial divide here, circumcised, uncircumcised, Gentile, Jew. But, but he's saying, in Christ, all that is gone. All of that does not matter anymore. All of that has been destroyed, and, and, and the wall that divided, the separating part, even in the temple when Christ died on the cross, in the temple, the veil was rent in two, the veil that kept us out of the presence of God so that all could enter into his presence by the blood of Christ and by the death of Christ. And, and Paul is wanting us to see here that God is about building one body, one people, one new man by one spirit into what is called the church of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, later on in this book, when you get over in Ephesians chapter 4, and we won't look at it in depth tonight, but I want you to look, if you will, turn over there with me to uh, chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6, because there is what many believe is the first creed or the first uh, confession of faith, of, or one of the earlier ones anyway of the church. Probably the earliest one was simply Jesus as Lord. But Paul here is undoubtedly talking about something that was expressed as a creed, expressed as a I believe statement. That's all a creed is. You know, I find Baptists get all nervous about creeds. I don't know why. Creeds are good. Uh, creeds, and if creeds are taken and codified in the point that, that you believe the creed or you follow the creed more than you follow the scripture, then that becomes problematic. But a creed comes from the, the Greek word uh, credo, which literally means just I believe. A creed is just saying, I believe something. And so for the, the church to say, any church say, well, we don't have a creed, that's very problematic. Because what they're actually saying is, I don't believe anything. We don't have a creed, we just don't believe anything, we just believe everything. If you believe everything, you'll believe nothing. 
You'll be in real trouble if you believe everything that comes along. So there has to be a creedal statement. Well, Paul is, is sort of expressing a creed here. He says in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's a pretty good statement of faith. There is one, all these ones here, one body, that's the church, one spirit, the Holy Spirit, one calling, one, one calling with which you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I, I want you to see here that what Paul says in chapter 4 is, is, is built upon this foundational statement of chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. He starts out in verse 11 with this very simple little word, therefore remember, remember. On the basis of what I've just told you about the work of God in your life, what I've just referred to about your calling, your being made alive by God, on the basis of that, I want you to remember. Remember who you formerly were. Remember what your life was like before Christ. Remember that, that uh, you were separated from Christ. Remember that you were, you were called unclean and uncircumcised and, and you were cast out and you were looked down upon by many, many, many religious people and, and other people alike. You were, you were seen as, as something less than important in the eyes of God. I want you to remember, now we who live in 21st century America, and most of us live through a, a, a part of the 20th century. Uh, we've never known a time where really people necessarily looked down on us because we were not Jewish. They, they looked down on us because we weren't, you know, circumcised in a religious and ceremonial sort of way. But Paul is saying here, I want you to understand that goes for every generation. It, it may not be circumcision, it may not be Judaism, it can, all, it can be any number of things that have to do with, with racial separation or social separation. And, and, and we live in a day where that is still problematic. It's still problematic that, that churches divide over lines. And when I say divide, I don't mean split. I mean, they, they, they have a, a different types of churches all over the place for different racial makeups. I, I'm of the firm belief, and, and uh, I think I can build this totally biblically, that there is only two races in the world. Now, you may look at me and say, oh, no, there's, there's red and yellow, black and white, because I, read, I sang about that as a child. And they're all precious in his sight, but they're still red and yellow, black and white. No, what I would contend to you is there are two races. There is the race that belong to Christ. There are believers in Christ, and there are those who are not. And, and that's the racial divide according to the Apostle Paul. Uh, we are a new race in Christ. If, if we're in Christ... We may be black or white or red or whatever, doesn't matter. If we are in Christ, we are a part of a new race brought together. We're part of a new family brought together, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ, not on the basis of natural birth, but on the basis of rebirth. And that's what Paul is saying here. And it's something that's vitally important that we remember. Remember, you were Gentiles. Remember, you were called the uncircumcised. And, and he said, you know, it, it, it's amazing that you also ought to remember that there were several things you were lacking in that condition. You, were, you, were, you lacked Christ. 
You, you are without Christ, he says in verses 11 and 12. You know, he said, you were excluded, you were, you were aliens, you were strangers, having no hope without God. I mean, I mean he's, he gives us this picture. You were without Christ, you were, you were without a citizenship, you were aliens and strangers. You, you didn't have the covenants of God. You didn't have any hope. He says in this passage, you didn't have God. You were, quite frankly, in verses 11 and 12, he's, he's simply saying, you were a mess. <laughs> you, were, you were in a real fix. Whether you were red or yellow or black or white, doesn't matter. Because you were outside of the covenant with Christ, the new covenant that we, we pictured this morning and talked about in the Lord's Supper, then, then you, were, you were without any of these things. You were without hope. You may not have known it. You may have thought things were going along well because you were making a good living and you were relatively popular among people. You had friends. You had family. Paul says, I want you to understand that outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately with his body, your new family, you are without hope. Or to use the theological term, you were in a mess. Okay? You were a mess. But, but then in verses 13 through 22, he, he talks about, you may remember what you did in verses 11 and 12, but then he talks about what we receive when we are in Christ, starting verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking about what Christ has done for you and for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. You've been brought near. You were, you were an alien. You were a stranger. You were far off. You were, you were cast out. But now Christ has brought you near. Near to what? Near to himself? Near to the Father? Near to the blessings of God? You've been made near by his blood. Verse 17 says, and you've been given peace. It says that really in verse 14 and 17. It said in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. What does that mean? Well, the scripture, Paul in Romans particularly, makes a, a strong case for the fact that you were alienated from God. Indeed, this idea of enmity is an idea of, of at war, in battle. There was an enmity, there was a struggle, there was a fight between you and God. You, you may not have even recognized it, but everything you did was in rebellion to Him. You were looking out for self. You were looking out for just what you wanted and when you wanted it. You were doing exactly what, what the passage that Ricky read tonight in our prayer time said not to do, don't look out just for your own interests, but look out for the needs of others. But, but as we were outside of Christ, that's not what we did. We were looking out for number one completely. We, we were at enmity with God. We were enemies with God because of our selfishness, because of our self-centeredness. But Christ in the cross is our peace. He is our peace with God. And he is our peace with one another. He, he is the prince of peace, we're told in the Old Testament in 
you know, in talking about his coming, he will, he will bring peace upon the world. He's called the Prince of Peace in the Old and the New Testament. And, and we understand that, that he is the Prince of Peace, but that means more than just some kind, of, some, some kind of grand title that he has. It means that he is our peace. He has given us peace with God by his blood. The, the battle lines have been broken down in the the peace treaty has been signed by the blood of Christ. And you're no longer enemies, you're no longer aliens, you're no longer strangers. You're now at one with one another and you are at one with Him. That's what He prayed for in the garden. When He prayed in that high priestly prayer in John 17, He said, Father, I, I pray that you may make them one, even as you and I are one, make them one, that, we might be, that, that they might be one together with us. There's that that unity that comes through salvation, and that's the peace that God gives with God. Not only is it peace with God, but it's the peace of God. The peace that the New Testament talks about is a peace that passes all comprehension, all understanding. So that in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a, a, a raging, horrible circumstantial storm in your life you you don't you don't fret you don't whine you don't worry you don't you don't cry out and, and curse god but rather you have peace of god even in the midst of it you, you walk with him you know him you've trusted him and you know that even in the midst of that storm he, he's given his peace he says i'm with you and i will guard you paul said the philippian christians you know dwell on these things Dwell on the Word of God. Dwell on God's truth. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about here. He himself is our peace. And he's given us access to God. Verse 18. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Again, you, you see this Trinitarian truth that that goes all through this, that, that Paul is wanting us to see that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that's at work in not only bringing about our salvation in 1 through 10, but also bringing about the, the building of the church, the making of the church, the, 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 the shaping and molding of the church. We've been given access to God. The writer of Hebrews, you remember our study in Hebrews a couple of years ago, the writer of Hebrews talks about he is the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. That, that he stands in that place. We don't, need a, we don't need a human mediator. We don't have priests anymore, as, as the, the Old Testament Jews did, where the priest would go in and, and, and do religious things on, the, on behalf of the people, offer the sacrifice on the behalf of the people, and, and go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement to bring about atonement for sins by offering and asking forgiveness for all the people. We don't have that. We don't need a priest anymore to go in. We are, our, we are priests. And just as the priest had access to God, Paul says, through him, through Christ, we have our access in one spirit to the Father. His spirit fills us and, 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 and empowers us, and we can enter into the presence of the Father, into the, to the throne of grace, without any single human mediator. You don't have to have me to mediate on your behalf. I'm your pastor, I'm not your priest. I'm one who wants to minister to you and alongside of you, but, but I don't have a special access into the presence of God that you don't have. 
hope you know that. You know, I, I've, I've had people come to me before and say, well, you know, I, I wanted you to pray with me about this because I know, I know you've, got a, you've got a special access because you're a pastor. No, sorry, I'm just like you. I have access, but no more, no less, no better, no worse than what you have as a believer. We, are, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that we enter into his presence. Now, now the priesthood not only prayed and offered sacrifices but, and, and, and confessed and did all those things, which we do for ourselves, but the priest also ministered horizontally to the people. As priests, we're called not just to spend time in our prayer closet, although we're called to spend time there, but we're also called to minister to one another. That also means I'm not the only minister in this church. Or me and the staff, we're not the only ministers in this church. We may be the pastors, but we're not the only ministers. We have four pastors. We have 300 and something ministers. Because everyone is a priest, is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want you to understand, you've been brought near by his blood. Christ has made peace. He is our peace. He has done that work in bringing us together. And he's made peace with God, and now he's making peace among us. And he's given us access to God by being our mediator and giving us access through the Spirit to the Father, in the Spirit to the Father. And and he, he talks about what we are now. He said, remember what you were. You were without Christ, without citizenship, without covenants, without hope, without God. But now, in Christ, you are a new man. Verses 13 through 15. He says, in Christ, you you who are far off have been brought near, and you are a, a new man being built up in Christ. He has taken the two in verse 15. You know, abolishing the flesh, the in the flesh, the enmity which is the law of commands, came into the ordinance, so that in himself he might make the two, that is Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised, clean and dirty, that he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. That peace is established not between us and God. That's already done in Christ. Now this established peace is making us one man together. Speaks to racial harmony, speaks to racial acceptance, speaks to showing love to our brothers and sisters in Christ that are different from us. One new man, Jew and Gentile, brought together. I, I've got friends who are, who are Jewish by birth, and, and some of them, we've had some great discussions over this, and, uh, uh, you know, about the, the whole messianic congregation situation where jewish people by birth come to know come to faith in christ and trust christ and then they go off and they 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 establish a a a messianic congregation a jewish congregation that's primarily for jewish believers in christ and and i've I've cried out to some of them i said don't do that we need you we gentiles need you because you're part of us the wall's been broken down. We're one new man together. Don't segregate yourself off. Let's, let's share in that. I'm, I'm thankful my, my friend Jay, who, Jay Seculo, who's a, 
who's a Messianic Jew, was born a Jewish and, and has become a believer. I, I, I've always been so happy. We've had some of these discussions. He's a little more open to the Messianic congregations than I am, but I've always been happy that he's never, never been a member of one. He's always been a member of a one of us Gentile bunches, you know? And I think that's important because he's broken down. He's made us one. We're one body. Verses 16 through 18, talking about the building up of the church. They might reconcile them both in one body. We are the body of Christ, and it's, it's through his cross. He's put to, to death the enmity again. So we are one new man. We are one body. You see how he's, he's pulling this together and shaping this. In verse 19, he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. We are a new nation. We're one nation. You know, we, we pledge allegiance and we talk about the United States being one nation under God, and, and I'm not wanting to do away with that. Don't misunderstand me here. But the real nation under God and in God and through God and for God is not the United States of America, but it's the church which he has formed. It's his people. And, and we will never be as a nation what the church must be as a body of believers. We'll never be as a nation what this nation must be who are under his lordship, who, who do cry out, King Jesus, and bow our knee to a sovereign king, Lord Jesus Christ. We are one new nation. We're one family, verse 19 says, and, and you are of God's household. That's the whole concept that Paul deals with of adoption. You have been adopted. He dealt with that back in chapter 1, that you've been adopted into his family. And now you're, you're, you're not a bunch of families just all floating around, but you're part of this one family, the family of God. And, and we're one building. We just built this building by God's grace and God's help. That's not the, this is not the building he's talking about here. When, when he says in verses 20 and 22, 20 through 22, he says, and having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place, a dwell, into a dwelling of, of God in the Spirit. He's talking about a building there, but he's not talking about a building that's made out of brick and drywall and, and, and mortar and drive it and whatever else is is still that's in this building. He's talking about a building of people. Peter talks about that in one of his epistles when he said that we are, we are being built up into a, a holy temple, a holy temple for his, for his occupation, for his, his living in and his dwelling in. And that's what Paul is saying here. I want you to understand that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talk a lot about the body, this body being the temple, you know? Our bodies be a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it is. But what Paul is concerned about here is a temple that's being built together, if you will, by a lot of individual temples, individual people. You being brought together, you being built, you being fitted together into a holy temple in the Lord, you are parts, you are building blocks, you are living stones in this, in this tabernacle. That is for and to the glory of God. 
He says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I think you dealt this morning, most of you did, in Sunday school with, with the passage in Matthew, with Peter's great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus said, Peter, you're right. You're absolutely right. And flesh and blood didn't, didn't reveal that to you. In other words, Peter, you didn't figure that out yourself. But, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you, that I am the Christ. And upon this, I will build my church. And, and there's all sorts of discussions. You've got the Roman Catholic says Peter is the rock. Peter is the, what the church is built upon. And so you have the first pope. Obviously, I don't subscribe to that, or I would be a Catholic, not a Baptist. Uh, you've got others who say that, as I think the, the writer of the Sunday School book this morning said, it, it's a broader thing. It's talking about Peter as a representative of the apostles, and there's the, the church is built upon the apostles and their work and their foundation, which kind of goes along with what Paul is saying here. Then there, there's another that, that I tend to more subscribe to, that it's the confession itself. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what I will build my church upon when people see that I am the Christ. But it is built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. In the Word. That's why a year ago, or over a year ago, we came over here on an afternoon, and before the final little square of concrete below this pulpit was, was poured, we put a Bible there right directly under this pulpit, open to Romans 1, 16, 17. For you who are here all the time, I say that a lot. I want you to remember that it's there because that is a foundational matter. That is, the pro that is the teaching of the apostles and the doctrine of the apostles and the doctrine and teaching of the prophets. And it's right under this pulpit to remind us always that that is the foundation upon which this church stands. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is really the one who holds it all together. The foundation would be shaky without the cornerstone. The foundation of, of this building would, be, would, be, would crumble with the cornerstone not holding it all together. He said he is, he is the cornerstone. And the prophets and apostles form a foundation on which we stand. So we're a new man as the church. We're a new body, we're a new nation, we're a new family, and we're a new building, a temple being built up for the dwelling of God. I told you before, what I, what I want people to know when they come in here on Sunday, be it Sunday morning or Sunday night, as we're singing praises to the Lord, as we're hearing the Word, as we're praying together, what I want people, what I, what I want people to sense is just the presence of God. I'm not concerned that they say, wow, y'all sing really good. I'm not concerned they say, oh man, that's a great sermon. You know, that's, that's not the issue here. The issue is that we're brought together to, to be built together for a dwelling, for a place for God through His Spirit in this place. That people will come here and because we are being built together, because we are being fitted together by His Spirit, because we are submitting to Him and walking in Him and trusting Him, when they walk in there is just something that they know is different about this place, and they sense this is a dwelling place of God. One new body. One new nation. One new people is what God is doing. 
you know, if you reflect on that idea of, uh, of the church as the temple, not the Old Testament temple, but of a New Testament temple, you reflect on its foundation, the apostles and prophets, its chief cornerstone, Jesus, its character being fitted together by God, its fellowship is with God and with one another. We don't ever want to forget that. When we are in Christ, even John said in his first epistle that one of the marks of a believer is they desire fellowship with other believers. They love the brethren. They want to be together. There's a new growth. The, the church is growing because of him, not just numerically, but spiritually. And, and, and the spiritual side is the vital side, first and foremost. And its purpose, the purpose of this place, as we worship him, is that this will be a dwelling place of the living God that people can see, people can walk in that truth. You know, Paul is saying here, I want you to understand that in all of chapter 2, it's all about salvation. It's about your individual salvation. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and God, being rich in mercy, made you alive together in Christ Jesus. It's a oneness thing, you and God. It's a, it's a personal salvation thing, but then there's a corporate salvation thing. He didn't save you to just sit down and, and be separate. He saved you to be a part of his body, part of his church. And that's why we meet, that's why we worship, and that's why we study. Um, Paul wants us to understand the power of God. That's to infuse the church. And the power of God that is to push the church toward being what he's called us to be. We must submit to him. We must lean upon Him. We must trust Him and Him alone. Let's pray. We don't usually sing on Sunday night, but I wonder if we'd come back and sing All I Have is Christ again. We'll do that right quick. As we're praying, they can make their way here. I just, just feel a need to sing that again. And after we've sung, we'll go into our congregational meeting. Father, we are grateful to you for your work and your power and your truth. Father, we bow before you and acknowledge that it's your work that's brought us together. It is your work and your will that has built us up. Not just Grace Baptist, but your church across this world. Lord, make us one for your glory. Because we acknowledge, O oh Lord, that all we have is Christ. All we need is Christ. So, Lord, teach us, teach us to only want Christ. We pray in your name. Amen.